0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. It's been an amazing day so far. I love Easter. It's so amazing, but it's kind of funny when you stop and think about um, some of the things, like we use soft colors, pastels, and we have... uh, soft rabbits and soft grass and baskets with eggs, and it's just so dang soft. And there really is nothing about Easter that is soft. Um, And when we think about the question of Easter, what was the mission of Jesus? What was Jesus trying to accomplish? Well, we know that he was paying sin's penalty. We know that people... Um, humanity from a Christianity uh, point of view, from a worldview, from a Christian would say, man, like all of humanity is guilty and uh, stand before God in judgment. And Jesus was paying the penalty of sin as he was crucified on the cross of Calvary. We know that um, his mission was to check wickedness. Wickedness had sort of been kind of having a heyday on the planet. Without being checked at all. There'd be a prophet that were raised here and there, and God would move in a special way. But when you look at humanity as a whole, evil was not getting checked. It was just sort of moving. Um, And so I think the mission of Jesus was to start backing hell up and to transform people from being safe and soft to daring and dangerous. That's the whole objective of what Jesus was accomplishing. Now, before the crucifixion, Jesus made a very powerful promise. And if you study the gospel of John, you'll find this. um, He he says to them, "It's like, man, it's good for me to go away. When I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit for you. They didn't know exactly what that, that meant. But he promised before he was crucified that he would send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would live in us. He also said in Matthew chapter 16, something very important, when he had the disciples, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say, you know, you're Elijah, and some say you're this, that, and, the other. and he said, well, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, that's right, Peter. And upon that right there, that truth right there, I will build my church. It's the word ecclesia, it's a gathering of people, a gathering of of individuals that he would build. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the gates of hell will not be able to keep um, what my gathering of people are going to accomplish from accomplishing it. They will be moving. They will be on the offensive. And I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, the keys are nice. Like somebody has a lake property and they're like, hey, man, you know, here's the keys, go down there and hang out. There's the keys to the boat and the keys to the, we got a vehicle and the golf cart and this, this here's the white. You're like, okay, sign me up, right? Well, Jesus, is what he's. this is what he's saying. Here's the keys to the kingdom. I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. So something is going to happen in this group of people that he's going to transform, that are going to change the world and they're gonna move from being a safe Um, group of people to being a very dangerous group of people and that's what Easter is about it's about making dangerous disciples now later the resurrected Jesus is hanging out with them and so he says these things he makes these promises then he's crucified now when he's crucified and he's arrested it freaks the disciples out and they like all go in different directions and they basically go into hiding because they're terrified that what is happening to Jesus is going to happen to them. And so it's kind of funny when you think about it because before, um, Jesus is, he's, for three years, he's doing ministry with these guys. And he, he invites them to follow him along. And like, men, like they, he's turning water into wine. Like he's making the party better. He... Uh, He's healing uh, people who are paralyzed, people who can't see. Um, He's returning their sight. There's even occasions where people are dead and they come back to life. And, and then Roman, the Romans are in control of Jerusalem and everything. But these guys, like Jesus, was their bro, man. You know, get a kid up to a Roman and be like that, man. <laughs> right? Like you know, you're walking with Jesus, man. And so they had a lot of confidence. Uh, but then Jesus is crucified. <laughs> he's gone now. Like, what are we going to do now? And they all go into hiding. They're terrified. Well, we know that on Easter, three days later, we celebrate the resurrection. Jesus rises from the dead and he starts appearing to them. And and, and then he would, then he would move on. They'd like see him and then, then he's gone. Here he is. We're in hiding. And then Jesus shows up. He tells them at one point to wait in this room and, and go in there and he appears to them. Thomas has been doubting. He's been saying, I, I won't believe until I see him and with my own eyes and touch him. And he's like, "Hey, bro, right here. And he lets him touch him. And Jesus eats with them. amen? The resurrected Jesus ate with the disciples. I like that. I'm about to eat in an hour and a two. I'm, I'm hungry right now. And we could see that, why did Jesus eat? Well, he didn't eat to survive. He was in his eternal state. And so we, you know, clearly um, we, we eat for more reasons than just to survive. I can tell by looking at some of you, you're eating for more reasons than survival, <laughs> right? He said, he ate for maybe pleasure. I think we'll eat on the other side. And, and, and certainly he ate to demonstrate, I'm not a ghost, Like I'm, there's a real physical Jesus that exists here. And so he makes these appearances and he's in and out and he's in and out. And so these guys are up and down and up and down, man. They're just kind of all over the place. At one point, Peter's like, it's been a while since Jesus has appeared. They don't know what to do. Peter says, I'm going fishing. That's what he used to do. They all, he said, I'm going with you. And they're out fishing and Jesus shows up on the beach. And um, they recognize finally that it's Jesus. They have this amazing catch of fish. And And Jesus has breakfast with them, right? Then he's gone again. Well, on one particular occasion in the book of Acts in the first chapter, we have what is known as the ascension. And we call it and identify this appearance that he has in his resurrected form, the ascension, because it's the last time. It's the last time Jesus appeared to the disciples in his resurrected form. And so they are all gathered around there and Jesus has some uh, last things to say. One of the things he says is in verse eight, he says, but you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's like, there's a power going to come over you. They still didn't know what this meant. He's like, this is going to, and then Jesus says this and then he just starts to ascend. They're kind of watching him, man. And he's going up there. I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like when you let a balloon go and you're a kid. And you're, I see it. Can you still see it? I can't see it. Oh, there it is. Well, there he is right there. And all of a sudden, and they're just looking. He's gone. And these two angels. said, what are you what are you looking at, Phyllis? Like this Jesus who just ascended, he's gonna come back the same way. And you need to get engaged in what he told you. You need to be engaged in what he asked you to do. And so they are just waiting. They go into this place called the upper room and they're in prayer. They don't know really what to do. They've seen all this miraculous stuff and they're sort of just in this room in a holding pattern. And the Holy Spirit that was promised to them shows up in this moment. It's called the day of Pentecost. So it's described as a cloven tongues of fire come down and fire rests above them in some sort of way. They're in this room. They're they're safe and they're kind of cozy and comfortable. And they're, th- this event happens in this mighty rushing wind. It's described comes and it starts to penetrate. And they get up and they start speaking. And they are speaking. They come out into the streets of Jerusalem and and they're speaking in languages that all these different people groups that are speaking that speak different languages could understand them in their own language. And then they're they're just preaching the word, and it's coming out of them and. And there's some, some people are just like, they're, they're, they're like amazed by the miracle of God that is happening. And then there's other guys who are like, man, these guys are drunker than Cooter Brown. Y'all say that. Have you ever heard that statement? Yeah. You look like you've been drunker than Cooter Brown. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so so, so just, these guys are drunk, man. They're drunk. And so Peter, he starts to preach the first sermon that has been filled, a person filled with the spirit of God, been dwelt with the spirit of God. He says, "Some, however, made fun of them. This is Acts chapter two, verse 13. And they said, they have had too much wine. And Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So Peter, like... Through the power of the Holy Spirit and preaching and and the demonstration of the Spirit, he refers back to a prophet that wrote something hundreds of years ago. And he says, this prophet said in the last days, this would happen, that God would pour out his Spirit on people. And, And that's what is happening. So if you ever want to know, are we living in the last days? The answer is yes. They started when Jesus rose from the dead and sent back the Holy Spirit to indwell in people. That is the last days. We will be in the last days until that ascension started the last days and the return will end the last days. It is the age that we are living in when we are spiritually empowered to advance the agenda of the kingdom of Christ here on the planet. And so Peter says that's what's going on. And then he drops down, if you drop down to verse 22, he says... Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. When you drop down to verse 32, he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Then you drop down to verse 36, and he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Easter is the fulfillment of what Jesus promised. Easter is not about um, what we wear to church or where we go to church or going to church. Easter is about the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made about a kingdom of disciples that would change the world, that would move from safety to danger in a moment and turn the world upside down. And that's exactly what they did. And so our question must be on Easter, as we celebrate Easter, you've come into this place. Some of you may not have been to church for, for a year, some of you five years. Some, some of you have been to church every week, but still you need to know what the heck is Easter about, it's about being a part of a dangerous kingdom of believers, the ecclesia, a group of people, not just going to any church, but going to a church where people are living a dangerous lifestyle for the sake of Christ. And they understand that when Jesus was crucified and he was resurrected, it was to fulfill the promise that he would transform a human being into something like himself and the Holy Spirit of God would invade their lives and they would never be the same. That's what Easter's about. And so what do we learn about this kingdom? What does it look like to be a part of this kingdom? How do I even know if I am in this kingdom or not? Well, first of all, dangerous disciples are born again. You'll never be a dangerous disciple if you've never experienced a second birth, a spiritual birth in Christ. Jesus described this to a guy by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter three. And he said to him, unless a person is born again, he can't be a part of the kingdom of God. And so it is essential for us to be born spiritually because all people, all humans are dead in their sins and trespasses. Every single person who's ever lived has offended God and is guilty of sin. We all can identify that with that. We understand that. And so to be born again is recognition that Jesus is not a God. He is the only God. And that he came in the form of flesh and he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died on the cross of Calvary in order to pay the penalty for humanity, and we are saved from what? The wrath of God. Why would God's wrath be poured out on anyone? Because they rejected what he provided for them and chose to reject and, and, and a spirit of unbelief comes over them and they don't know Christ. Therefore, they are not in relationship with God, with God. So the only alternative is an outpouring of the wrath of God on that individual. Logically, that's just the only thing, way that things will work out if Christianity is true. Like it's, it's the only possibility. And, and if, it, if you say, well, I just, maybe it's not true. And what do we do with Jesus? Well, he's a good dude, man. Good teacher. He taught that he was God. He can't be a good teacher if unless what he is teaching is true. That's what C.S. Lewis has taught us. And so we look at that and we go, man, it's important that we understand that if we're going to be a part of this dangerous kingdom, that it is essential that we are born again. Because once that takes place, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. So this had never happened before until this happens on this day of Pentecost. Remember, Jesus is coming and going in resurrected form, final ascension. He goes. They're looking up in the sky, and they, the angels say, "Do what you've been told to do." Then the Holy Spirit comes, and they don't. They don't. They do nothing until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they go out into the street, they start teaching the gospel and changing the world and flipping it upside down. Because they were indwelt with the Spirit of God, He didn't just come over them, He moved into them. And before the Holy Spirit comes, you are safe. But after He arrives, you are dangerous. And when most people or dwelt and dwelt with the Spirit of God. So you come and you have this experience. And so you're like, oh yeah, man, I, I remember, I remember. Some of you, it may have been when you were at youth camp as a kid. A lot of people will go to a, a, a camp, a, a spiritual Christian camp and, and they'll, they'll encounter the Lord for the first time. Maybe it was a, a church back when you went to a youth group when you were a teenager. May, maybe it hasn't happened for you yet. But when it happens, generally people... Um, will experience the fullness of God in their lives. What does that mean? It it means that you're just filled with the Spirit. What what does filled with the Spirit look like? It means that God spiritually, just like the physical Jesus walked with those guys during that period of time, spiritually, Jesus takes up residence in my life. So I'm all of a sudden full of God. I recognize I don't, I'm don't i not responsible for my sin anymore. The Lord has just forgiven me and cleansed me of all my unrighteousness based upon my belief in who he is and my confession that I believe and I've accepted him into my life. Then I'm washed, I'm as white as snow and I move from um, shame and, and sin to sinlessness and s- the sovereignty of God covering my life and, and protecting me and I'm like, I'm not guilty before God. I I can talk to God. I, I don't have to worry about what God thinks about me. I know what God thinks about me. He's told me what he thinks about me. And he's told me that the gospel can take care of my sin problem. And I receive that and I'm just full of the Lord, man. And I just have joy because I'm like, I don't carry the burden of my sin around anymore. I don't carry that guilt. And so all of the fruit of the Spirit just invades my life. And I go from what is described as darkness to illumination. I'm, I'm, I have the light of the world inside of me. And I experience something for the first time. I'm like, this is amazing. And generally, when people meet the Lord, and I've, I've led a lot of people to the Lord over the last 30 years. And you will see their countenance change. You'll see it. Like you could just see a joy come over them. I remember, man, when I got serious, I nailed down my commitment to the Lord. I was um, at this, uh, I had driven like an hour and a half away. I drove home all the way home by myself and just grinned the whole time. It's just happy on the inside. Like I couldn't even explain. As a matter of fact, I smile about it right now. It's never gone away. This is because I'm full of the Lord, man. Now, how do I explain that? The Lord just, he cleansed me from my unrighteousness. And he invaded my life. That's what the fullness of God is like. He's like, we know that. Now, here's the thing, is we have to leave the safety of the upper room and start journeying with Jesus and where he calls us, where that begins to wane. That, that, that fire just begins to get a little bit cooler and, and this, it, it just starts to cool off. And the joy that I used to know, I'm like, where's my joy? And that happens to people all the time. Why does it happen? Because they were just transformed to be dangerous and they're still staying in the upper room. And the Lord's called you out into the streets of Jerusalem to go do things for the kingdom of Christ. That's what Easter's about. Easter's not about you putting on special clothes and coming up to church once once or twice a year, man. Easter is about Jesus transforming your life and you become a dangerous person that begins to back hell up anywhere you go. Hell is on the retreat around you because you are taking Jesus everywhere you go. And that brings us to our second takeaway. Dangerous people, dangerous disciples are filled with the Spirit. They're filled with the spirit, man. Okay, so there's a difference between indwelling and filling. The indwelling of God is when you meet Christ, you understand the gospel, you receive the gospel, God moves into your life. But the the scripture teaches that we are not only to be born again and then we're indwelt with with the spirit of Christ, we're to walk in the fullness of the spirit. Just like Jesus is walking with the disciples and saying, hey, guys, let's go over here to this side of the lake. Hey, guys, come over here. I want to show you this. Ah, We don't really want to go there, Jesus. That's not a good idea. The last time we were there, they tried to kill you. It's okay, let's go. Hey, guys, let's go through Samaria. Okay, I don't really want to go through Samaria. There's about of dirty people in Samaria. And you know, we Jews don't like them Samaritans. He said, no, 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 we're going. And he's taking them. And so they were following him. And then he leaves. And he comes intermittently, but eventually he sends the Holy Spirit, and they go from not knowing what to do to going out into the streets of Jerusalem as the Spirit of God is leading them. And that's what happens in our lives, is the Spirit of God takes us places. He leads us into different areas, and we walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And there's a difference in being filled and being indwelt, and that's what I want you to understand. If you are indwelt, and you don't continue to walk and journey with Jesus, then you will quench the Holy Spirit, you won't be as sensitive to the voice of the Lord and you will start to walk in the flesh. And when that happens, you become one of the most miserable, miserable creatures on the planet because you know the truth. And Jesus said, people who know the truth and don't listen and follow the truth are worse off than people that never knew it in the first place. You're living as a believer who is the, the God is in you, but the flesh is leading you. That's just a miserable place to be. And I know because I've, done, I've tried it. It's awful. It's awful to walk in rebellion to Christ and know you're walking in rebellion to Christ and keep doing it. You just die a slow death because you are not what God has changed you into. And that is a born again believer in Christ. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Um, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So here's the deal. is the Holy Spirit can live in you without filling you, but he cannot fill you unless he lives in you. That's why I took the time to explain you have to be born again. And once he's in you, he can continue to fill you. Jesus talked all the time about how I'll make you a wellspring of life, filling up, springing up into eternal life, that um, we would drink deeply from living water. And so he is in us and he is filling us as we are walking in obedience to him. And so Paul says to be filled. It's a command. It's not like, hey, Ah, drink if you want to. He's saying, "No, when you are indwelt with the Spirit of God, be filled with the Spirit of God." So intentionally, he's saying, "Drink deeply from the wellspring of life that Christ offers, and that's how you stay full in the Spirit." How do we stay um, dangerous? We got to get wasted on Jesus. I mean, we've got we've to be comfortable just drinking in. And you know what happens to a person He said, be not drunk with wine, but be drunk on the spirit is what he's saying. And when a person gets inebriated, we know there's a lot of things that happen to that individual's life. And he's saying to us that we need to lose um, the ability to try to control ourselves in that way that we're drinking deeply from the wellspring of life and getting wasted on Jesus. Not only do dangerous disciples are they filled with the Spirit, dangerous disciples are addicted to Jesus. They don't just they don't just get wasted, and have a one night party. They never sober up. And the problem in the world today is we got too many sober believers. You've been sobered up by the flesh. You get inside the upper room. Everything is safe and comfortable in your life. And the Lord is calling you out to be daring and dangerous. And you never experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because you never do what the Lord asks you to do in the first place. And that's why you wane in your fire. Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. People who are filled with the Spirit They crave what they have tasted, and they develop a spiritual appetite. They want more of it. They want more. It's not just they go to church and go. "Ah, I'm going to go to church and do that thing. No, man. These people are in the Word. They want more of the Word. They're blown away when they read something. Go. I didn't know the Word taught that. And then they want to understand it more. And they they listen to podcasts. They hang out with other believers. They pray. They do things that people in the kingdom do because they've noticed that there's no life in the upper room. It's all out on the streets of Jerusalem. And so they get daring and they get addicted and they just want more because they see the Lord moving in their lives. And when you see the Lord moving in your life, it, nothing else will satisfy you. And so just because you've tasted, it doesn't mean you're still wasted. You had to look and you go, man, I know I, there was a time I was wasted. Well, why aren't you wasted right now? Like I'm wasted. I've been wasted for years, man. A dang alcoholic on Jesus. Just love him. I don't know if that's why you call that. alcoholic. I'm addicted to Jesus. Uh, but anyways, uh, uh, you can be. I remember my dad. I love my dad. He, he passed away in 2040. One of the things he said to me as a young man when I when I nailed down to my commitment to the Lord, because they, they could tell, man, I was broken and just in a miserable place. And they could tell a transformation happened. And I, and I was just full of the Lord and And I'm so happy and content and my dad said to me, and I think he was trying to warn me about my personality because I would try new things all the time and and I was a risk taker and he would be like, hey, hey, Jimmy, I don't think it's going to be this way all the time. And I I said, no, no, dad, I think it is. I think it is going to be this way, and it has been. Now, that doesn't mean that, oh, man, I'm just happy every single day. I have my ups and downs. Matter of fact, there's a couple of requirements before I want to deal with any of you, and that's I want to have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Java, and then I'm ready to meet with you guys, okay? Um, But I have my ups and downs, um, just like anybody else. But the joy of the Lord is constant, man. It's just constant in my life. It is what has carried me through some of the most difficult things that I've ever experienced. And that is because I'm addicted to Jesus. And nothing else in this world will satisfy me. And I figured that out. And I don't want anything to do with that inner room up there. I want to stay out on the streets of Jerusalem because that's where the fullness of the Spirit of God is is in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm running hard after Jesus and, and that's what we have to understand, man, is we can't let the flesh sober us up or we're gonna miss all of the incredible stuff of the kingdom. The problem, when we look at this, we, we, we have to understand that every believer is as full of the Spirit as they want to be. The problem is that we want the thrill of being full without the cost of discipleship. And there is a cost. There's a cost. You have to tell your flesh. See, we say, I don't have time to read the Bible. Why? Because you want to take care of the flesh, man. You're sober on the flesh. You're not drunk in the spirit person that's drunk in the spirit is like the flesh is getting too much time I got to be over here with the Lord some I got to spend some time in prayer I want to spend some time with the truth I want to spend some time with other believers and and they understand man there's something of the kingdom at work and active in their lives and they don't want anything else and so we're all as filled with the spirit as we want to be and just to kind of illustrate like um I like cars um I used to work on cars when I was a young, you know, a teenager and, like, build, try to build small blocks and stuff. I, just, I love that kind of whole hot rod stuff. But I've always wanted a Corvette. You know, I take, I take one, like a classic one, like in the 60s or something like that. But I really just rather have a brand new one, just a brand spanking new one. I, I just roll in the church parking lot. Vroom, vroom, vroom. I have a license plate on the back that said, repent. <laughs> but I do not have a Corvette because I do not want to pay for a Corvette. There are a lot of people that have Corvettes in our community. And they have them because they decided to pay for them. They paid the cost. I'm filled with the spirit because I want to be. And I've paid the cost. I'm walking with Jesus. I've taken the risk. And there are a lot of, that's when you see a person who's filled with the spirit. And and some of you are, and some of you are wondering, how do I get there? Just pay the price, man. Let, Let the Lord lead you. And don't let the flesh be the one who's in control of your life. You have to understand that the reason we are so prone to desiring a lot of those things, like even the Corvettes or the new homes or whatever it might be, the new, you know, taking a trip every Every, you know six months whatever it is nothing wrong in any of those things but if we're not careful we'll get so sober on the flesh that that we, we we're like pulled away into those things and those things are where we're looking to find satisfaction and so we get them and we just have to keep keep getting more and more and more because none of them will do what the Lord will do in our lives when he begins to move inside of us and so we make that decision. You have to ask yourself, do you want Jesus enough to allow him to change you? Because that's what he will do. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what Easter is about. It's about transformation. Jesus changed the world, and he changes people, and he just continually changes people. Do you want Jesus enough to allow him to change you? If so, then it's a way with self-love, self-pity, and self-sin. You deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Again, you're not earning salvation. What you're earning, <laughs> what you're walking in is a life that has been purchased for you. You're walking in the promised life, just like the Israelites walked in the promised land. We're walking in a spiritual kingdom until as Jesus ascended, he returns back in the same way and he claims the planet for himself. And that brings us to the big idea of today's talk. Dangerous disciples lose control. That's what happens when a person gets inebriated on a chemical of some kind, they lose complete control of themselves. When you get wasted on Jesus, you no longer control your life. He does. And the reason some people are not filled is because they want to run their lives the way they run their business. And we want to be a dictator. And what we have to understand is the Holy Spirit is every bit as much of God as Jesus was when he walked on the planet. So we believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches that God the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so just as Jesus was walking with them, he is living in me through the Holy Spirit. And if that is going to be the way that I live, then I can't be a dictator to him, where he's not God, and he won't have any of it. So I have to lose control to him. And this is when I learned the secret of sacrifice and the secret of sacrifice. I pray that my kids would understand this and understand it early. I pray over them daily that the Lord would teach them the secret of sacrifice is because that's the key to success in life. And what is sacrifice? Lose your life. The only thing you have to sacrifice to the Lord is your life. Just lay it down on the altar and Jesus says, when you're doing that, you're going to find it. That's why it's, a, it's the secret of the kingdom. He says, to those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says, man. And if you have eyes to see, and so my constant prayer over my kids and even my own life is that I would understand more and more about the kingdom because the more that I embrace that, I may not have all the stuff that my flesh sometimes tells me I need, but it doesn't matter because I enjoy what I have because of the contentment of my soul. I have the most important thing and that is the creator of the universe. He owns me. I don't dictate to him, he dictates to me. And so like we walk through life together and he provides for me and there are a lot of cool things that I've experienced through his provision, but I do not dictate to him. He is God, I am the servant. And so what I would say to you today is happy Easter okay? This may be your first time at our our church, and we want to welcome you, but what we would want you to know and have a full disclaimer if you haven't figured it out already, we are a dangerous church. We are not good for your selfish flesh. We will try to get you to crucify it and follow Jesus, because that's what it means to be a Christian. And so we are not healthy for you to come. You will not be coming to a place where it's safe and cozy. You will be challenged constantly to get out into the streets of Jerusalem. Why? Because you belong to a king and you got to lose control of your life to that king and be a part of the kingdom and go out there and be dangerous and you'll find your life when you start living that way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love your grace, your kindness and compassion. We pray that you would have your way as only you can and you'd move on hearts, Lord. That commitments would be made, lives would be surrendered, dangerous prayers would be prayed everybody's got their head bowed and eyes closed, just in a spirit of prayer, I'm going to walk away from the stage here in a moment. And there are people up front to pray with you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and you're like, you don't know what to do. And you're like, but I, I know the Lord is calling me. And maybe you come up and just pray with one of these people and say, hey, um, that's what I'd like you to do. Maybe you're just struggling and you want some prayer over health or something like that. They'll pray for you about that. Maybe you want to renew a commitment. Maybe you want to pray a dangerous prayer. There's somebody up here that will pray with you. You can also pray right there where you're sitting. But ask the Lord what he's asking you to surrender right now. And what's the secret that he's asking you to sacrifice on the altar so you could find your life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.